Before we start the show, we want to let you know how our podcast is made possible. As a part of the Daily Texan, we're able to put together these shows every week, an opportunity we love because it lets us learn more about the podcast medium and learn more about the UT community at large. That's all possible because of funding through Texas Student Media. Here's a message from TSM Director Gerald Johnson about the ongoing Support Student Voices Pledge Drive campaign. This is Gerald Johnson, the Director for Texas Student Media, and we serve as the uncensored voice of the UT student body. Our media outlets include the Daily Texan, Texas Student Television, 91.7 KVRX Radio, The Cactus Yearbook, Texas Travesty, and Burnt Tax, where more than 1,500 student participants learn how to report, produce content, photograph, illustrate, and operate cameras here in our building. TSM provides the tools and training that transform aspiring students into young professionals. You can support us during the month of April or anytime at supportstudentvoices.org. on UT's campus, the Daily Texan newspaper is a given. It's there every day of the week, and there's not much more thought put into it than that. However, there's actually a lot of time and effort put into making sure that the Daily Texan is ready and available to students every day. Welcome to the ninth episode of The Hookup. I'm Morgan Keeler. And I'm JT Lindsay. Whether it's the newspaper or anything else on this massive campus, the process of how we get the things we use every day isn't typically at the front of anyone's mind. This week on the podcast, we're exploring the aspects of UT life that most people take for granted. The tower bells are a constant part of every UT student's life. Soul Chase pulls back the curtain and explores who and what makes the chimes happen every 15 minutes. When we hear the tower bells ringing, most of us think nothing of it. At the very most, it's telling us we're late to class and we have to run those next few blocks up Whitest Avenue. But what's really going on when that sound starts up? Picture a bell ringing. Who's ringing it? Is there some medieval monk pulling a great iron chain? Or maybe you're picturing the scene from Spider-Man 3 where Peter Parker throws himself into the church bell. On both counts, you'd be close, but not quite on the mark. UT's tower bells, like most of the bells in modern clock towers, churches, and Tim Burton fantasies, are played by a carillon. It's a musical instrument that consists of about 23 bronze cup-shaped bells. The musician, or caroloner, strikes one or more stick-like keys, or batons, with his or her fists to sound one or more bells at a time. Um, Unlike a piano, where basically all the keys have the same sort of action to them, on the carillon, it gets heavier as you go down. The heavy part is the the sort of the hammer on the inside, the clapper. Um, So it's it's pretty light up here. You can just do it sort of like one finger. Um, And then you get down here, and it's a lot heavier, so you need a lot more power behind the strike. Drew Orland is the director of the UT Carillon Guild. They're a group of nine students who are solely responsible for all the music you hear from the top of the tower. As far as music goes, we're sort of left to our own devices. Usually, uh, I mean, we have a huge library downstairs. Um, It's just full of sort of uh, things that have been arranged for Carillon. It's usually classical music and stuff. Um, But we do get a lot of requests and stuff through social media or our email. Um, And usually those things are a little bit more contemporary. Last Tuesday, Drew took me upstairs to show me how it all works, and let me tell you, it was quite a journey. First, we take the tower elevator up to the 27th floor. Drew stops at this point to call APD, just to reassure them that the alarm he's about to trigger is him and not a security threat. 
We pass the tower observation deck, the highest floor that tours of campus get to see, and keep on going. We ascend four flights of metal stairs, working our way through a maze of steel pipes and scaffolding. Finally, we arrive at a tiny room with a truly incredible view. Alright, so this is this. Basically, uh, as you can see, it's just a little closet with an with instrument in it. You can still go up a little bit higher um, if you wanted to like touch the bells and everything. We don't really have a lot of reason to go up there. Basically, it's, it's us here, then the bells, and the very top. Drew takes out his sheet music, sets it down on the carillon, and begins to play. From inside the room, the sound is muffled, but I step through a window to a small observation deck and my mind is blown. Directly above is the carillon, dozens of individual bells tolling in time to Drew's keystrokes, and just a few feet away. I can see all of campus, all of Austin, and the sound blankets everything. Back inside, Drew shows me a board on which are inscribed the names of all of UT's Caroloners. I think actually a lot of people don't know about Tom Anderson, who was the, the university Caroliner for, for so many years. I mean, a lot of people have sort of heard that, oh yeah, there was this old guy who used, who used to come up every day and play it. Um, but yeah, he really, I mean, like all of our music, um, a lot of the traditions that we have are, are sort of passed down from Tom and of course the other, the other Caroliners who played with him. But yeah, I mean, he was, he played for such a long time, like over 50 years, I think, um, which is just, I mean, I, as someone who's only been here for four years, this is mind boggling. So I think a lot of the older sort of faculty on campus may have heard of him, but a lot of the newer students sort of don't know about the, the history there. The whole idea of the Carillon, I feel like most people sort of know basic things about it, and all they ever really know is the chimes that they'll hear on the way to class. Um, but there is a lot of history up here, and it is something that, I mean, we, we try to be as interactive as we can with the, the students, so I mean, if anything, I wish we'd have sort of more interaction, because we love to get requests and stuff, and usually it's just me up here, so I, I sort of pick out music, but it's always fun to play something that I know someone's listening for, or that'll sort of make their day. Uh, my favorite are when people will reach out for like birthdays or anniversaries, and can you play this special song? I mean, that's that's always the most fun. I always just love getting that reaction from hopefully filling the campus with fun music that people enjoy as they go to class. After about 15 minutes of classical sonatas, Drew is ready for the encore. As Drew gathers up his sheet music, I sign the guest book that the guild keeps next to the instrument. We descend once again, first the four flights of stairs and then the 27 floors down the elevator. Drew is graduating in May, and he tells me about his upcoming mission for the Peace Corps in West Africa. He'll be passing on the director's hat, making way for a new generation of Caroloners to take up Tom Anderson's great mantle. The Caroloners are musicians, they're students, but there's a profound magic to what they do. They work behind the scenes, 
performing for the largest audience with no one in the room to watch. So, if you're ever walking between classes and you hear those ghostly bells ringing out over the 40 acres, give a mental pat on the back to the men and women that play for us. Reach out, send them a request, or go to an audition next fall. College students, professors are a part of our everyday lives, but most of the time we don't get to know them outside of their roles as teachers. Debbie Nehiquiri talked to two professors about their remarkable lives outside the classroom. Growing up in school, did you ever think about the lives of the teachers that taught you? For me, there was a point when I was younger that I really thought that my teachers just lived at school. That besides teaching, they had nothing else to do. No outside lives. And so it was very shocking for me to see my teacher at a local grocery store or a movie theater. Because it put into context that teachers have lives outside of teaching, there are several things that teachers do behind the scenes for themselves. I sat down to talk with some UT professors to see what they do outside the classroom and how it affects what they teach. Dr. Kate Bieberdorf, lecturer and director of demonstrations and outreach in the chemistry department of the College of Natural Sciences, works on a project called Fun with Chemistry, a project for which Austin Women's Magazine has hailed her as the next Bill Nye the Science Guy. So what I did my first year working here at UT is I started an outreach program called Fun with Chemistry. And what we do is go out to the local Austin schools and now more recently actually across the country. And I basically just blow stuff up and try to show anybody that's between the age of K, so that's kindergarten and the grade of 12 or senior year of high school, that science is awesome and that anybody can do science and it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, how much money you have anybody can be a scientist. I love Bill Nye. I loved watching Bill Nye grow up and so to be compared to him now at all is a huge honor. I also talked with Professor Catherine Fuller Seeley of Radio Television Film about media culture and how the antiques she collects helps her contextualize the media she studies. I have been teaching for over 20 years so I know it starts to seem like a long time but I'm uh, very fortunate to get to teach a subject that I'm passionate about, that I love, that I will do in my spare time. I like to make media culture um, uh, uh, visible, um, real. Some scholars talk about that they don't want to own and collect the things they study, that they think that that's getting it sort of messy and muddy. But to me, I love surrounding myself with the everyday ephemera of 50 or 75 or 100 years ago to help me get back into the mindset of people back then. Whenever you're in a class and you don't know what's going on, which is most of the time for me, you don't expect that your professors understand your confusion. It seems that all they are concerned about is the complex material. But Dr. Bieberdorf explains how she is passionate about science, and she thinks of herself as a science translator that breaks down complex terms and concepts 
We in general cut outreach budgets first. They're the first things to go. And so what we focus on is our research, our education. That's the number one thing. But unfortunately, if we stay in our little bubble and the rest of the world stays in their little bubble, we don't have communication from the, you know, just the regular average person to the nerdy scientist. And so what we need to do is find a way to communicate what we're learning in easy, manageable chunks. That's the problem. If we have this brilliant tenured professor with the tweed patches and the whole blazer thing, if they come there and try to use all their buzzwords and their crazy, brilliant technical terms, the community's lost. And so we need someone like me, almost like a science translator, where I can listen to these brilliant people turn and in one sentence say, okay, they're making bonds between two benzene rings. That's all they're doing. But it's very, very important because that exists in almost every single one of our drugs in the process of how we make drugs. And so that's why we care about that. And that's why we need to give this really, really brilliant person a bajillion dollars right now because they're on the brink of discovering something incredible. As a collector, Professor Fuller Seeley takes the media she collects and puts it into context in her classes and for her students. It's one thing to view a film. It's another thing to see the memorabilia from that film and eat popcorn from that time. I like these other things that um, scholar Henry Jenkins called, uh, uh, and others call paratexts. Um, uh, uh, as I said, the, these physical connections to, um, to images and media in our mind. I, I love to use sort of ephemera and unusual films, you know, snippets of, of these things to say this can be a part, you know, I mean, to, to, to get them thinking sort of tact, uh, in, a, in a tactile manner. Um, I have a freaky 60s food day because I want them to understand <laughs> about these pressures um, that there were to have everything be sort of freeze-dried and shelf-stable and, and, and futuristic in a kind of astronaut kind of way. So I bring in astronaut ice cream. Uh, and then cookbooks that show them about the goal of the 1960s in, in terms of food consumption. Was it to have, take up very little part of your time? Everything could be in a pill. Uh, you could just eat it. And then we see how a revolt, a hippie's revolt against that mm -hmm. would be the creation of, uh, uh, you know, organic food and back to nature kind of thing and ethnic foods and, you know, I'm going to say the soul food revival and all these. So, so we have a day where we eat all that food to, to give us another way of, of understanding it. Professor Fuller Seeley discusses what her students think of Kathy the Collector. I don't mind being that kind of, uh, um, uh, oddly curious uh, faculty member, if, if that makes a student remember me, and say, wow, she's really passionate about X and Y. Maybe it's worth being passionate about something in my life. Ultimately, our professors are people. They have lives outside of the classes that they teach. Whether that is blowing stuff up to get students interested in science or going around the country and collecting stuff that was what's important to someone. Our professors are interesting and amazing people with the same passions and desires that we have. Dining hall food is an inevitable part of almost any college experience, for better or for worse. James Mishmash brings a story about how UT is trying to make sure their food service is acting for the better and not the worse. I want to be a cowboy, baby. Hell yeah.
I'm sure that many of you have heard or seen that vine before and most likely in a joke about being a farmer or doing some form of agricultural work or maybe the funniest, in my opinion, about Texas A&M. But all jokes aside, what many people don't realize is that there actually is a substantial farming and sustainability movement on our own campus. I'm sure that many of you have seen or even shopped at the UT Farm Stand and more than many of you have eaten in one of our dining halls. I'm going to take a guess here and assume that healthy eating and fresh food isn't your first thought when you think of eating on campus, but you probably do realize that the food isn't that bad. I talked to Kami Bigham, a biochemistry major, about her first impressions on dining hall food. Uh, generally, I think it's pretty good. Um, JCL is definitely better quality than J2 and Kent Solving. Many students may not realize it, but after talking with Darla Stewart from the University Housing and Dining, the behind-the-scenes effort on our campus for food is a big deal working to ensure that not just quality food, but Texas food is in our diets. They may not know that we do go to the effort to visit with the farmers, to actually go to the chicken farms and other places where the food is coming from. We want to be able, since we are responsible for feeding thousands of other people's <laughs> children, so to say, uh, we want to have the traceability of our supply chain, know where the food is coming from, and make sure that it is the, the best quality that we're able to get. Sustainability is very important. And for the even for the past decade, since I have been with the university, we've steadily increased the amount of local food that we've served in our dining locations. Um, we've, we have relationships with local farmers, the Sustainable Food Center, as well as um, we ask our, our um, prime vendors to source local for us. What is more clear to everyone is the health and natural benefits of the food from our UT farm stand that is open on Wednesdays outside Jester. It, it kind of touches on three different things. Uh, it's promoting sustainable agriculture, so that's kind of on the environmental sustainability side. So we source uh, our produce and our bread and our honey and our tea for that matter uh, from uh, local places, not just local, but, but places that are um, practicing sustainable uh, environmental, environmentally sustainable practices. So the, the second kind of facet of our mission is to uh, be able to, and I'm on the economic side, so to be able to provide local or so fresh sustainable produce at, a, at low costs. So, um, so there are some items that we will actually, you know, it, it will actually cost us more money to uh, source than it does, uh, than it, um, than we're actually making back. Um, that's just because we really want to make this that particular item accessible to, uh, to to students. And then the last thing would be nutrition. So being able to uh, provide this kind of you know um, affordable, sustainable produce uh, to folks who wouldn't necessarily uh, be purchasing it otherwise. And a lot of us don't realize the students on campus with UT Farmstand work to enhance the amount of sustainable, healthy foods on campus, and they spend hours and hours working to get it and not just shopping for it. I'd say about half of our produce or so is sourced on campus. Um, so with our uh, Green Corps program, our, our students are, are growing the produce uh, kind of throughout the year, harvesting it for the, for the farm stand. And our students uh, do everything from the purchasing of the produce to the, uh, to the on the retail side of, of the display and the sales. Um, so, you know, it, it all is very much student run. So, um, uh, and, and so we, uh, you know, our students who are working with us get this kind of real life experience knowing what it's like to uh, purchase 
uh, produce locally from these farms for a kind of a retail operation. The long lines of the farm stand on Wednesdays are definitely noticeable from Speedway, as students are hand-selecting their new produce and waiting in line for the fresh hibiscus tea. Students like first-year Kira Azule love having these healthy ingredient options on campus and had a few words to say about what having this fresh option means to her. Um, I really like that there is uh, a source of fresh fruit and vegetables on campus for a relatively low price. Uh, it's really hard to get off campus to go to like HEB or Target, uh, and the Target on campus is pretty expensive, so I really appreciate the UT Farm Stand for its variety as well. Something really behind the scenes that many students don't realize is that amongst the fresh food that the UHD buys, the leftovers from the farm stand are given to the dining halls. The stuff that we have left over, we will, uh, we will work into the JCL menu. And so our chefs at the, at the Jester City Limits do a fantastic job with, you know, I'll give them this array of leftover produce that who, like, I, no one can ever think, like, what can I make with this? And they'll figure out how to use it. Ms. Stewart wanted to make sure that students know that UT is also a pioneer in the collegiate world of food sustainability and also works to help farms gain special recognitions for their services. One cool thing since, uh, you know, this is UTexas and what starts here changes the world. When, when we began our effort to have some of the frozen vegetable and canned vegetable companies become certified sustainable, um, the manufacturers did that specifically for us but then many other universities across the country begin to jump on that bandwagon. While some people like our College Station friends might want to be cowboys, here at UT, our behind-the-scenes operations show that we want fresh, sustainable food and dining options. Next time you stop into JCL or Ken Solving or stop at the farm stand, you can know that the students and university staff are growing, harvesting, and buying local food that is fresh and sustainable for you and me. The university operates like a small city. We have our own zip codes, power plant, and police force. UTPD becomes a presence that most students are just used to. However, reporter Valeria Chavez tells the story of one of our police officers who stands out from the rest. It was a windy Saturday morning when 84 bold volunteers walked up the tower steps and into the barber's chair to participate in Brave the Shave an annual fundraiser for the St. Baldrick's Foundation that supports childhood cancer research. Participants raised money and pledged to shave their heads as a way to raise awareness and stand with those who did not have the choice to go bald. Although the majority of our participants were students, including myself, there was one bald head that stood out. Name's William Piper, it's W-I-L-L-I-A-M, Piper's P-I-E-P-E-R, I'm sorry. You're not doing print. I'm used to that. Oh, it's okay. Don't no worry. Uh, I'm a peace officer at the University of Texas Police Department where I've been employed for the past 24 and a half years. And I'm currently assigned to the LBJ Presidential Library and Museum. When I first noticed Officer Piper, I figured he was just another patrol officer keeping an eye on the event. You can imagine my surprise when he sat in the chair next to mine and we had our heads shaved together. His presence was inspiring, and being the nosy reporter I am, I asked the organizer who the officer was. I was told that Officer Piper himself was a cancer patient and decided to participate in Brave the Shave to honor his family members that have passed away from cancer. After hearing his story, I knew that he had to be my subject for this week's podcast. Having worked as a police officer at UT for 25 years, Officer Piper has spent most of his career on the 40 acres. He told me a little about what a usual day working for the UTPD looks like. Well, one thing is uh, the vast majority of our population turns over every four years or so. So, you know, you, you work with students when they're a freshman, 
And then four years later, those students who you've worked with for four years, getting them prepared for going out into the world have, have left and you've got a new crop. And so every year we're dealing with another 10, 13,000 students that come in that uh, may be coming from small towns or small communities uh, and they're not prepared wholeheartedly for life in the big city. So we, we have to have to watch out for them, uh, help guide them as they make their way through college. You know, we had one gentleman, first home game after September 11, 2001, ran through a barricade and was trying to run people over. And we stopped him and were able to take him into custody after quite a struggle. Uh, but that's one that I, I've, I'll probably remember the rest of my career. The job can be tough, dealing with difficult situations that happen on campus and keeping everyone safe. But the job also has its upsides. Well, just like uh, being different from a city dealing with new people is that you deal with new people all the time. Uh, and it's uh, one thing about it as a law enforcement officer on a college campus, you get older every year, the students do not. You're always dealing with folks that are 18 to 24 for the most part. Uh, and so I think that kind of keeps you young. You know, you, you kind of have to stay on top of what's happening in, in the world that uh, and how people of that age range may view what's happening in the world. Uh, you have to stay on top of technology because uh, if you're taking an interview and a student mentions an app and you don't know what that app is or what it does, then you're kind of out, out of sorts with that. So you really have to stay on top of uh, current trends and things of that nature. The students should never be afraid to contact the police department. Uh, I've worked out here for a long time with a lot of different officers and we've got really good people that work here at the University of Texas Police Department and we are always going to try to help people. Uh, even if they're people who have violated the law, our intention is to help them and to protect the campus. Officer Piper's journey to braid the shave started with the help of a fellow Longhorn. Well, uh, actually, I was invited by Christopher Shafiq. He's one of the riders in the Texas 4000. Great, great young man. Uh, he's actually sponsoring me as I'm a cancer patient. And uh, so he's sponsoring me one day. He invited me out to the event. I don't think he expected me to participate. Uh, and I, I thought about it. I've lost a, a lot of family members myself to cancer, and I've, I've seen them go through the struggles. And some of them, you know, the hair loss is quite a traumatic thing uh, for a lot of cancer patients. And, you know, I, you could say that I did it because I'm a cop and it's something a cop should do, or you could say that I, I did it because I'm a cancer patient or because I've lost friends and family to this terrible disease. But really, when I looked at the St. Baldrick's page and you start seeing the pictures and the stories of the kids, you know, and you start thinking of, of what their family had to go through, uh, what they had to go through, you know, you realize that you just can't sit around and do nothing. You, you have to do something. And so I decided I'd go ahead and I didn't make that decision until the day before. So I, uh, you know, I signed up to be shaved, you know, uh, there's a, a lot of good things that different entities on the University of Texas uh, campus that do for awareness for different projects to better humanity, as it were. And I really wish students and faculty staff would all find something that they believe in and they back and support. Even uh, if it's not a monetary donation, just lending your, your moral support and being there to help others. It's what makes the campus a better place. Officer Piper, thank you for keeping our campus safe. Your sacrifice and heart are incredible and inspiring for our community. We are lucky to have you on our campus, and I am honored to be bald with you.
that's it for this week. Be sure to tune into our podcast next week when we talk about the campus traditions we know and love. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Texan Podcast and subscribe to The Hookup and all of our other podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just be sure and search The Daily Texan. You can also find your news online at dailytexanonline.com. Our reporters this week were Soul Chase, Valeria Chavez, James Mismash, and Debbie Nehiquery. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.